You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hi, Roosevelt. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today. We're glad to have you. Oh, thanks, Chris, for having me, man. Uh, I'm happy to be here. So excited, man. Thanks so much. Now, I want to get right into the content, as I always do. 
by asking you, when did your musical journey begin? Tell us about your beginnings. In fourth grade, I started playing trombone in Harvey School District 152, which is also the district that I teach in now. I was a chubby kid back then, and not much has changed uh, since. But back then, uh, it was very popular for band directors to give the chubby kid the big instrument. And so that was me. Um, I, I played trombone for the uh, first couple years in band, and then I, I was given a tuba my sixth grade year continue playing tuba. I also picked up the the uh, bass guitar and piano while I was in middle school, um, which kind of gave me a, a introduction to, to to jazz. And I continued to play those things during high school, joining a few orchestras along the way also, um, Suburban Youth Symphony Orchestra. And then, you know, from there went off, I picked up baritone and uh, other uh, low brass instruments, but then went to college uh, on a full scholarship to play tuba at Northern Illinois University. So how far did you go with your performing career after college? Did you continue to play? Yeah, for a short period of time. Most of my, the majority of my playing was during college. Uh, during my time at Northern, I was able to establish a, uh, a working band on campus that uh, was fairly successful on campus as well in the Chicago area uh, called Motif. We had a blast. Happy to say that I had some of the, the best musicians in that group, some of the best musicians in the, in the world, uh, all I care. But I had an opportunity to perform with some really, really key people um, as it relates to music and uh, American music. Tito Puente, for instance. Um, when I got to Northern, I was able to play with the NIU Jazz Ensemble, which was a blessing because I was a freshman. So I was I managed to play in that group for my whole time at Northern. But uh, Tito Puente, uh, Ernie Watts, uh, Benny Golson, all, all of those uh, individuals, along with Marvin Stam, Jimmy Heath, and so many others, um, and I picked up a lot uh, touring with these guys. Um, even got a chance uh, towards the end of my college days. Got a chance to tour with Diana Roth, which taught me so much. Um, I was under Arnie Roth at the time. He was the, the, the director, and I was his assistant, and I learned so much about organization, about professionalism, about uh, arranging. So I kind of took all those things, and, and after college, I started using some of the things I learned to, to benefit my professional career. Um, I traveled around the world with different groups. Uh, I spent some time on the cruise ships playing, but, um, but I, I definitely I'm, I'm blessed to have had the experiences as a professional musician that I did. Now, when did you decide to become a teacher? Just answer the question, when? When did that decision happen for you? Uh, it had to be probably junior year in high school. In fact, up to that point, my dream was to be an architect. But I had spent some time with my, my band director in high school, David Eanes, and I admired him so much, and I wanted to be like him. So uh, around junior year in high school, I decided that I wanted to be a, a band director. You know, I wanted to be a high school band director, marching band and, you know, concert band, jazz ensemble, things like that. So definitely it was junior year in high school. And let's, I'm sorry, I don't want to date you here, but let's put a time on that. So what, what year was junior year? It would have been 1994. Okay. All right. Yeah, we know how old you are now. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting up there. All right. So what experiences helped you toward the decision to become a teacher? It was actually watching Mr. Eanes' interaction and his effect on others. Um, so I, I can't say it was an actual uh, performance or anything like that, but it was what the band room did for myself as well as, you know, many of my friends, what, is, what is, it's done for others, you know. I would always see alumni come back and, and talk to Mr. Eanes about, you know, what what band did for them. And I realized at that point what it what it was doing for me. And I wanted to be able to affect people's lives, you know, the way that he affected people's lives. So that was your high school experience. Did you have some other experiences 
later on that confirmed that decision for you? In college, I think for a second I shifted and wanted to become a, a performer. So towards the end of my college career, I, I really uh, spent a lot of time performing and practicing. In fact, I changed my major my last year in college. I changed my major to performance. So my, my actual uh, bachelor's degree is a bachelor's of music, tuba performance, which is something most people don't know. Um, I had to come back at a later date to finish my teacher certification at Northern. But um, I think when I was on the road after after I graduated from college, I was on the road touring and uh, on the cruise ship. I realized I wanted to come back home and give back. So at that point, I realized that I wanted to work with, with kids. I wanted to take everything that I, I had uh, gained, all the knowledge that I've gained, and actually try to give it back, be able to translate that that to the to students you kind of just answered my question i was going to ask but it's good i I think i'll restate it anyway because i I really want to know if you if you have such a high performance ability why not become a professional bass player or a professional tuba player when you you certainly have that ability well you know chris i i got to a a point in my life musically as far as performance wise well well i I, I was happy i felt like I, i did everything that i wanted to do i saw the world and i was content with that you know, and I realized that once I, I, I began teaching, I wouldn't I wouldn't play as much and things like that. But the time that I did choose to come back and teach, I was OK with it at that time. I just felt like I, I had really accomplished everything that I wanted to accomplish as it related to performance. So that was a, a, a good sign for me to come and, you know, begin teaching. Now, I know you recently earned a reward, an award and I want to congratulate you on that right now. Thank you very much. And I'm going to make an announcement here for the behind the note audience that for the people that don't know but roosevelt has recently earned the golden apple award which is the highest honor that that a teacher could win as far as being publicly recognized so i want to take the time out to say congratulations to you on that thanks chris how how did that make you feel first of all man uh you know since then many people has you know they've asked me how how do i feel what does it mean and um the more and the more time goes by the more I reflect and, and I realize it, it you know, it means even more and more each day. Um, at this point, I'm, I'm the 14th African-American male to receive this award, which is, is major to me because um, uh, I feel like I can I can represent other African-American teachers. I can also be a face for African-American men. I mean, all teachers, you know, but but specifically because I, I work with a community of African-American students and it, it really feels good to be able to stand in front of them and say, hey, you know, I, I won this award. You can do the same thing and really, you know, inspire them to become teachers and things like that. And I mean, I I was doing it anyway for the award, but this award publicly, it did something all over everywhere. People are congratulating me. And, you know, I walked into a class before school ended. A student said, hey, Mr. Griffin, congratulations. This is a fourth a fourth grader. You know, congratulations. I want to win one one day. And, you know, that made me feel good because I felt like at that moment they, they saw themselves in me. So, uh, I mean, you know, God is so good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by it. But I do know that there's much more, much more work to do. Now, we know better. We know that when someone earns an award, it's really because of the work that they were putting in before they won the award. Right. And it's just uh, simply a public acknowledgement of your hard work. So with that in mind, I want to ask you some questions. Uh, first, how are you such an effective teacher? I think I'm effective because I put the students first. I don't think I'm better than the students. I just think that maybe I have knowledge that I need to get to the students. Um, I never put myself as being more important important than them. So therefore, um, I'm going to teach my students no matter what, by, by all means necessary. 
I'll try different things. I'll, I'll change my approach. I'll change my, my lesson because the most important thing is that the students get the lesson. So my thing is if a student is not getting it, there's nothing wrong with the student, but there's something wrong with the way I'm delivering it. And I'm constantly going back to the drawing board, figuring out ways to reach students. Are there certain processes that you have discovered that work better than others when you're trying to get certain things across? I, I guess I'm trying to ask, are you able to break teaching down and to a science or is it more of an art form or a combination of the two a combination of two? Oh man great question <laughs> i never thought about it like that but um well first of all i try to teach concepts in several different ways because there's several types several different types of learners out there you know there's some students that really learn well by uh, by visual mr griffin i want to see it written down i want to see it you know in a book so um, I try to tackle all of the, the, the different learning styles uh, when I do teach. Um, I'm patient in my, my teaching. It doesn't have to be right away. And I want to make sure that every last student is understanding what's going on. And I encourage them to let me know when they're not understanding something because I need to figure out a way to get you to understand. Sometimes it's me standing on a chair, you know, shouting it, you know, as loud as I can. Sometimes it's, it's me, you know, drawing a picture on the board. Sometimes it's, it's me, you know, having the students write about it, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's constantly being creative in, in a delivery to make sure every student has an opportunity to gain the knowledge. Constantly be creative. I think that's the key here. Can you give us an example of maybe like the scientific approach and then maybe the artistic approach of, of your of your delivery? Give me an example of what you're looking for that I can. OK, so a scientific approach, I think for. OK, here's an example. I think that I've discovered a way that I can teach anybody how to play lip slurs. And if I teach them X, Y and Z, then they're going to they're going to have that technique together within three weeks or two years or whatever. So that would be an example of scientific. And uh, the, the creative process, the art form process, would be more of, I guess, tuning in to the individual and discovering how their, how their mind works and adjusting your approach. Okay, I got you. So watch this. So scientifically, like, as far as um, I truly believe, if you give me any willing spirit, any willing person in front of me, I can teach them. I do have a process that I, I take with my students before anything. And I think it's very important. I, I go around telling people about this process of um, relationship, respect, response, meaning that all of my students, I have to build some type of relationship with uh, uh, first. But as it relates to the actual playing, uh, we spend a lot of time getting to know our instruments. So uh, I, I teach beginner band. And a lot of times people hear my bands and I, and I realize that a lot, of, a lot of the students they listen to were actually beginners within the past year or so. I'm able to get beginners to perform at a high level pretty quickly because we spend a lot of time getting to know our instrument and making the instrument part of our lives first before we learn any notes. We're going to sit with the instrument. We're going to uh, go through slurs. We're going to go through fingerings. We're going to go through just getting basic tones. We're going we're gonna to watch videos on other people playing our instruments, look up people that's playing our instruments. So we're going to get to know our instruments first. So therefore, when we get to the books or the notes, it comes naturally. And how long does that take? Well, I guess what I really want to know is, do you do this process in a school year when they allow you in class period time? Or is this after school, before school? How do you find the time to put in this work? So what I do, this, and you're the first person I'm going to give my secret away to. All right. In the school year, I'm going to spend, I kind of divide my school years up in, in, into quarters. I have four quarters and then I have a summer quarter. OK, well, actually, it's not a quarter at that point. Right. But but I have this the school year, four quarters and I have summer session. The first quarter I am building um, relationship with the kids. I'm finding, you know, we, we're, we're going skating. We're, uh, you know, doing any type of event that's going to require us to sit down and talk to each other because I'm, I want to learn about 
I guess it's the artistic side. I want to learn about the, the thought process of the kids, how they learn, how they respond. Um, and then at that point, we have classes twice a week where we're sitting together for three hours, simply doing uh, long tones, lip slurs for uh, for woodwind players, you know, long tones, going over fingering and understanding how to read a fingering chart. And we're doing this constantly. And this this is probably a good three to four weeks that we're doing this without doing anything else. I try not to make it boring. And this is why I have like, you know, open gym and things like that. Um, but we, we, we spend time doing this. And then the next quarter, I'll spend, I'll bring out a piece of music, one piece of music, and we'll go over it pretty much the whole quarter. You know, we're learning new concepts. We're trying to actually teach concepts, let the students get the concepts in- internally. And then after that quarter, I can pull out nine, 10, 11 pieces, and we're, we're actually taking everything we learned from the first two quarters, applying it to the music now. So, it, it, you know, it, it, it's quick. It's, it happens quick. And now it becomes a language for the students. You know, you spend a whole quarter just talking about, you know, um, phrasing this way or, you know, these type of rhythms. So it, the next quarter, it just comes back. It's like clockwork. And then the summer session, we spend a lot of time every day for four weeks. We spend, we do an hour a day, hour, I'm sorry, hour and a half sectionals where all we're doing is learning scales, and, and doing fundamentals, articulation exercises. And then what happens is the next year we, we, we do another cycle again, and hopefully the older students help the younger students. Remind us again, what's the age level that you teach? Uh, my younger student is about eight. And then when do you let them go? When do they move on? About 13. So you have the elementary student through the end of middle school. And this, this is incredible. This is, who gets this teaching at, at this age? That This this is great. The great thing you're doing. And then there's one, one other thing, um, and I, I think I'm kind of, and if I'm getting off, just let me know. But I think this is so important. One thing is it's important to know that a lot of my students, they won't, if they start band in fourth grade, they may not actually stay with me into eighth grade. Many of my students that stay in eighth grade, they just join band when they're in seventh grade or sixth grade. And unfortunately in Harvey, you know, a lot of people, they don't move to Harvey and just plan on staying for a long time unless they, they have family there, unless they were, uh, were there for generations, you know, things like that. Like my mom, she still stays in Harvey, but her mom was in Harvey. So unfortunately, I only have a short time to really work with the kids. The other thing is I constantly bring professionals in front of my students. And I love supporting my other middle school directors and other bands, but we don't spend a lot of time listening to middle school players play. We spend a lot of time looking, observing, going to concerts, bringing people in, uh, professional players, because I want that to be the standard. We have this saying, nobody cares whether you're eight. They don't care if you're eight years old. They just, you know, I mean, hey, it's cute. You know, even if it sounds bad, it's still cute. So you're going to get, you know, people to clap for you. But the truth is, good music is good music. It doesn't have an age to it. Good music is just simply good music. So my thing is, whether you know, if you're nine, ten, let's make good music. So I have to present good music in front of you all the time. So that becomes your standard. I like that. That's a high standard, but that's what's required to perform at a high level. And really, we're, te- we're teaching life lessons. So this is the way that you want to live your life. And this really trans- transcends beyond the band room. We're really developing character for the rest of that student's life. So this is a really great thing that's happening. Remind us again uh, uh, the acronym you use for relationship. Okay, so R, uh, three R's. Relationship. I believe once you build a relationship with students, they be then they'll respect you. This is this and this is why substitute teachers have such a hard time. Kids don't know the substitute teachers, so it's hard. It's, you know, unfortunately, they have a hard time respecting them. So you build a relationship, then they respect you, and because they will respect you, now guess what? They're going to respond to you. So at this point, I don't have to yell in the band room. I don't have to. All I have to do is look at the kids and tell them, "Hey, do it this way or do it that way." And at that point, they're going to respond because they, they they respect me. They trust me. So they don't know the outcome, but they're going to say, "Hey, Mr. Griffin asked us to do it this way." Let's do it this way. They do it this way, and now they have an outcome that they're happy with, I'm happy with, and the sky's the limit. 
was there more to it after relationship or, or was that the main thing? No, relationship, respect. Respect. Okay. Then response. Relationship, respect, response. Right, in that order. That's great. Incredible. And, and this relationship talk has become a theme on Behind the No Podcast. Guys, if you haven't realized already, this is really, if there's one key to success, which this podcast is the advice for a successful music career, if there's one key, it would have to be building relationships, re- relationship building. Yeah, but that's at any level too, Chris. You know, people say, well, I don't have time to be eating, eating with my students. Well, then that's not the relationship that you'll build. It could be simply, hey, how are you doing today? How was, how was your day? You know, uh, giving a smile. That's re- At that moment, it becomes a relationship. So at any level you can get a relationship, take advantage of it, all right? Because, I mean, it, it's, it's important that teachers know their place and kids know their place. However, relationships can take place at any level. That's That's incredible. You answered my next question, so I'm not going to ask it. But just for the, I know some people are like, what were you going to ask? I was going to ask, why do your students respond to you so well year in and year out? But this is the reason why. And on that note, I, I feel like I need to tell a story. I end up telling a story like once an episode. I taught high school for three years. And I was excited about the opportunity to teach high school to share the little knowledge that I've gained through that point. Well, the f- one of the first lessons I discovered was that my students weren't responding. And this is what you just talked about. They, they, they tested me as all students test teachers. And the year was not as productive as it could have been. I had to deal with the same problems most new teachers deal with, which is that's not the way our previous teacher did it. Why are we doing it this way? I'm sure you heard those things before. So it, the first year was kind of spent getting them used to me. I'm getting used to them. But I learned a valuable lesson very fast, which is once they realized, number one, that I was going to stick around, they had a, a new teacher every year, it seemed like. So once they realized that I was going to stick around, they seemed to be a little more open. Once they realized that I cared about them, actually cared about them, they opened up. And it took that first year. But after that, we started to have a really great music program. And they were actually able to learn learn from me. They were able to learn the things I had to give. It was less of a struggle. There wasn't any fighting. It became more like a family, actually. So relationships, response. So, relation, so because of the relationship, yeah. kids respect you. Respect. And because they respect you, now they'll respond to you. Man, that's great. That's man, Thank you for sharing that. That's actually the truth. That's how things end up working out especially in the classroom situation. And you know what, Chris, uh, in the relation, in a relationship process uh, is very important. And this is where I think a lot of teachers, because what we're talking about right now, you know, I teach music, so I'm talking about the band room, but it's really any, any, any subject or any, you know, anytime you're teaching, we as teachers have to be transparent. We can't want the students to tell us everything about themselves and, oh, what are you, what are you going through today, this, that, and the other, and call that a relationship, relationship if we're not willing to reciprocate that. We have to be willing to say, you know what, I messed up. And my, my kids will tell you, if I mess up, I'll apologize. You know, it's okay to mess up. I, and I, I let them know that I'm human and, and, and it, it's okay. That's very good. Because um, people will quit on you. If they see that you're prideful and you're not willing to acknowledge your mistakes, they'll quit on you. I've done that myself. So I understand that. That's very good. I'm going to transition here now. Tell us about a time that you faced adversity as a teacher, then overcame the adversity. All right, adversity. There was a moment in my teaching career where I had to figure out what was most important to me. When I first started teaching, you know, I was just like any other band director. You know, you want to go to competitions. You want to get these trophies and win first place. I never forget we were doing a, a competition. I had a symphonic band and I had a jazz band. And the jazz band, we, we didn't do our best. The kids weren't focused. They were playing around, goofing around. 
uh, we came in first place uh, with a it was an okay score. But I know that they, they didn't do their best. They knew it, but they came in first place. Symphonic Band actually scored like a superior and came in like third place. And that moment when the, the scores were given, the jazz band jumped up screaming, yeah, we came in first place. And when the Symphonic Band, who definitely gave, gave their best, they found out they came in third place at a superior, they, they felt bad about themselves. And that taught me a lesson. It said, you know what? These, these competitions don't mean anything. Because here, here I have a group that didn't do their best. They came in first, and they're happy about not doing their best. I said, something is wrong with this picture. It, it, it actually changed my life as, a, as an educator, as a band director, because I said, you know, never again will I let a competition dictate how my students feel as far as being successful. Because in this case, it actually showed the wrong thing. Um, and then so the following year, I didn't do any uh, competitions. And I wanted to spend more time building up character in my students. And at that time, you know, people are asking, why are you not doing competitions? And, you know, you know, Mr. Griffin, you shouldn't be doing this like this. You, you suppose you, you're supposed to be out there, you know, at, at this festival, this, you know, this and the other. And I said, well, no, I believe this is the way to go. And I didn't know how it was going to end up. And this is probably my third year of teaching. So I didn't know how it was going to end up. I believed in my heart that competition wasn't the way to go for my students. I'm not saying competition is wrong. It's just for my students, this is not what they needed. So I spent time getting into the community, making them give back, making them do events for, you know, senior citizen homes, making them uh, become become a, a family, making making them work harder on their grades, helping each other out. So I spent, I spent more time, and this is kind of to answer your question, how did I overcome it? The fact that everybody's telling me this is not good, you got to be doing competitions, which was adversity. Uh, I spent more time trying to get the kids to understand their role as bandmates and their role as playing music. It's not for a first place trophy. It's not to say that you're better than someone else. Your goal is to be your best and not the best. So I took the attention away from being the best and started concentrating on being your best or being our best. Years went by and, and all of a sudden I'm seeing success at this. I'm seeing the type of students that we're now uh, producing. I'm seeing students who go to other schools instead of saying, hey, uh, we're gonna play better than you guys. My students will go and eat lunch with you. My students are going to go find out what section you're in and talk about who's your favorite musician. They're going to want to go talk about what classes you're taking. It was, it, was a, it was a real big shift in the thought process of a band director. And once again, I wanted to come out of a college and, and win trophies. I wanted to come out and, you know, be, hey, say, we, you know, we're the best. But at that moment, when we did that one competition, that really, really changed everything for me in the direction I wanted to take my students. And like I said right now, my students are going to be awesome bandmates. They're going to be awesome musicians. They're going to be awesome people that you want to be around and enjoy the music with. Great answer. Thank you so much. Now, wrapping things up here, we're coming up on time. I want to get some final thoughts from you. So, Behind the Note podcast is about advice for a successful music career. In this case, we're going to gear this advice toward successful teaching career. What would you tell someone that wants to be a teacher in the classroom and they're a new teacher. What would you tell a new teacher with no experience? Maybe they're coming right out of college. I would tell you to not put your students in the box and don't put yourself in the box. We go to college to learn concepts. So what we do is we, we gain all this knowledge in college. We gain all this experience only as tools to use when we need them in the real world. Put your students first. When it's time to go into that toolbox from college, reach into the toolbox and get the things that you need. You don't have to get everything. You don't have to, to use everything that you learned in college on, on you know, your students because they, not, they might not need it. And understand that it's okay if you, have to, if you have to take a different approach than you were taught. Your job is to give the students what they need. And fortunately, you, you've gained the knowledge that they need. So when you're in front of them, do whatever it takes to get them that knowledge, whatever it takes. Thank you. That's great advice. Now, how would you change that advice, if at all, if you're trying to give a veteran teacher some solid advice for a successful career. Just be okay with change. 
The goal doesn't change. The process may change. All right. I think that's 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 pretty much for everybody. We set our goals. We want our kids to be here. We want our students to learn this. It's okay to change your process. I change my process every year because I have a different group of students every year. And I have to be humble enough to say, hey, what worked last year is not working this year. So I have to make sure I change my process. Once again, I'm not saying change your goals or change your standards. I'm just saying be willing to change your process and give them what they need. Roosevelt, you've given us some solid advice today, and we thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Chris, for having me, man. Had a blast. All right, we'll catch you next time.